This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. Today, we have Tom Sanglier on the show. Tom's the Senior Director of Internal Audit for Raytheon Technologies. Raytheon is an aerospace and defense company that provides advanced systems and services for commercial, military, and government customers worldwide. Uh, before joining Raytheon, Tom was a partner at Ernst & Young. Tom is currently a member of the IAA's Global Board, as well as the North American Board. He's also a former member of the IAA's Guidance Development Committee, which develops and issues professional guidance to the internal audit profession. Tom has also authored a book, Auditing and Disruptive Technologies. It was published in April of 2018, as well as the article, The Versatile Auditor. Uh, to add to Tom's resume, he also served in the U.S. Army as an infantryman. Uh, so like I said, Tom's book, Auditing and Disruptive Technologies, is it's kind of the basis for the conversation that we have. If I could just read one line from the forward of the book that was given by Tom O'Reilly, who's the area director of enterprise sales at audit board. And Tom O'Reilly says, while every chapter in this book is a must read, our profession would be significantly better if every chief audit executive read the last two chapters and applied those concepts to everything their team does. And thank you, Tom O'Reilly for that. That's exactly where I started. I started with the last two chapters and then read it uh, from the beginning back through to the end. And so if nothing else, if you, you know, feel like you don't have time to read the whole book, I would highly recommend just reading those last two chapters. In addition to that, in the reference section of the book is just a number of really good references. So if you want to know more about RPA or machine learning or bots or, you know, whatever it is, then that's a, a good place to look to get more information. So on the show specifically, I asked Tom about the risk of working with vendors offering disruptive technology. So a lot of really good insight there that I hadn't considered. How should internal audit approach piloting new tech? So should we do it across the organization? Should we do it across our, our internal audit department? Um, or do we just take like a, a small project and implement it and see how it goes, see what kind of return we get on it? And then if we're implementing all this new technology, how can we get the budget to do that? So I asked Tom directly, how can audit get more budget? And uh, really appreciated his answer there. And then we talk about the risk of not looking to adopt tech, uh, specifically disruptive tech. But even then, you can think about even, you know, if we're not on a workflow tool yet, maybe the kind of the risk there. Uh, and then lastly, we talk about the steps we can take to learn more about tech in our profession. Tom is a very, very well-read uh, person when it comes to these topics. And so just wanted to get his insight on some additional resources. In the show notes, we will include a link to Tom Sanglair's LinkedIn profile as well. Like I said earlier, a link to his book. This was a fantastic conversation. If you're not in a some kind of tech role, but if you are a leader in, in internal audit, or even if you're not a leader in internal audit, this would probably be the book that I would recommend to understand what's going on and to be able to have the conversations that are necessary to move our organizations forward. So that's it. Here we go. So this is a, a topic that I, I find interesting. Uh, you talk about in the book about a, a key risk is audit understanding the tech that's, that's going on within their own company. Um, and then also what vendors and consultants, they're the claims that they make as far as their capabilities and how that's, that's a, a risk that we know we need to understand. Um, what, what do you suggest on how we can actually do that? 
So um, let me let me you know start with vendors, and then because some of the same risks apply to our own internal IT team as, as well. But when it comes to vendors, you know, with a lot of these disruptive technologies, they're new, so the experience with them is not as deep as say there are lots of people who do SAP implementations or understand SAP, etc. But RPA smaller group, machine learning smaller group, you know. Uh, real true artificial, very, very small group. And so um, as more and more people ask for these technologies, the skill sets will come. But right now, the skill sets are probably pretty thin. Practical experience is probably, um, you know, very, very thin. So when you get into emerging technology, I think some of the same rules apply uh, as far as sort of um, sourcing and assessing and engaging and monitoring uh, uh, any vendor, uh, IT or otherwise. And there's some good guidance in, with the IIA on this, with uh, ISACA kind of thing. So a lot of those basic rules really apply. Are you, you know, are you doing all the right things? But when you get into the kind of the key, te the key tech, uh, one of the things I think you really need to think about is that really is going to come down to the skill of the individual or team you're working with. I think all of us have seen those cases where, you know, a big name partner comes in who's very, very knowledgeable, da, 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 all sold, never see that person again. Right? Uh -huh. right. And all the work gets delegated to people who are new and learning kind of thing. Uh, when it comes to this technology, you know, you want to know who's going to be servicing you. Really, really critical that you're not just assessing the company, but you're assessing the team mm -hmm. and perhaps even the key individual. And what are their skills? What's their background? Do they have references? All that kind of stuff is going to become really, really important because, you know, that's, that's who you're really, really depending on. And so you really, really got to you know, understand the individual that's serving you. But what happens if that individual leaves, right? I mean, you can build into the contract that you want this person, right? And so maybe you can contractually get that, but that organization is, you know, they're not a slave, so they, they can leave at any point in time. And then what happens? So what's the contingency plan? You know, what is the bench strength of the company that's, that's uh, serving you? These are all important considerations, I think, because in the absence of those, you could get into a project, a key person leaves, and because there's no other way to backfill that skill set, you're a little bit stuck. Yeah. And, and so these, you know, when it comes to disruptive technology, just due to the thin um, talent that's out there, that becomes a really, really critical component of this, my opinion anyway. And, and you know, there's a couple adages that always come in. You get what you pay for, mm -hmm. right? So if you want to go cheap, guess what? You're going to get cheap. Yeah. And even you know, even with a big firm like you want who's got deep benchmark, if if you really push them on rates, chances are you're not going to get the A team, right? Mm -hmm. So you get what you pay for. You need you need to be fair for what you recognize that and pay for it. And then you have every right to expect the quality that was yep. promised you, right? But I think the other thing too is if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. You know, and some people would say that's dangerous. That's not always true. And I agree, it's not always true. But make sure you understand that, you know, uh, you know, what is, if it is too good to be true, do your due diligence. Be really, really sure that, in fact, it is good. You know, demo, everything looks good in a demo mode. 
But, you know, it's kind of like, uh, that's why, you know, we just went through a vendor selection on a particular piece of technology. We need to talk to some of the customers, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, the vendor is going to give us their, you know, the happiest customers. But you can ask questions of that customer. What didn't go well? You know, what, you know, what were your lessons learned? That kind of thing. So even if it's the right technology and the right team, there's still the opportunity to learn from uh, how to do it better kind of things. So in the book, you talk about there's a couple different ways that companies or organizations can pilot um, disruptive technologies or emerging tech. What do you think about like how should internal audit departments approach that? So, hey, you know, we understand RPA is um, like there's a lot of value in there. How should they pilot that or how should they go about uh, implementing that? Not, not, not technically, but just kind of generically. And you're talking about internal audit department specifically. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the great thing about our profession is we can talk to other internal audit shops. It's not like we've got competitive secrets, right? As long as we're not sharing information about the strategies of our organizations, et cetera. But what we as internal auditors do, there's no real trade secrets there. So, one of the things you should always be doing is talking to others, right? Find out, you can reach out to a service provider, you know, like a Protivity or EY. Uh, the IIA is always a great resource. And you just, who else has done this, mm-hmm. right? So before you even start expending a lot of energy, find out who is going to, you, who's going to be your network of knowledge, you know, to start this. So, um, I, you know, I, I think that's great. I, I have always found other uh, chief audit executives, other people more than willing to share their lessons learned, et cetera. I, I really like that about this profession. It is a collaborative and sharing knowledge sharing profession. So, you know, when you when you think about pilots, build that part out for you first. It's very easy to do. Few conversations happens quickly. And you can plug them about how did they start the journey, right? So how did, you know, did they do a pilot? How did they approach the pilot lessons learned, et cetera? Um, But, you know, if you decide, okay, let's pick a technology, RPA. We want to pilot RPA. Probably one of the next most important things is what are your organization's policies around us, right? Mm -hmm. As internal auditors, we do not want to be the one to violate violate organizational policies and procedures and controls. We do not want to put in RPA that introduces a risk to the organization or this, you know, cybersecurity, all that type of stuff. So you got to make sure you know, you know what the boundaries are. A lot of organizations have a center of excellence. Because mm-hmm. RPA is not an internal audit thing. It's more a business thing yeah. than any. Yeah. And so are there already skill sets in there that in the organization you can leverage? What's happening inside the organization? And then, okay, now you have some options, right? And I, I think in some ways, a lot of pilot, it's, you know, where's my use case? So that comes back to what's the pro- what's, a, what's low-hanging fruit problem I could solve? And then you got to make sure you're looking at the right technology to do it. You know, how do you define that uh, low hanging fruit, that use case, et cetera. The use case is really, really critical. Right. Uh, I, I say start small, right? Don't try to, to I'm going to automate my entire audit methodology kind of thing. It's, you know, pilots are exactly that. They're just trial runs. Mm-hmm. Be prepared to fail, but, but identify a good use case, right? 
taking on a hard challenge and failing is discouraging. Taking on a small case and getting a half one is encouraging. And so I, you know, pick the right use case, make it a small one, make it a, make it one that you really can succeed. And, and then, uh, you know, learn the lessons from that and share, give back to those who call you next. So that's, that's how I would approach a pilot. Okay. And then once we, we've kind of understood that, um, at least the use case and everything, and it's time for, uh, okay, Hey, we actually need money for this. And I know like, especially now, uh, times are, times are pretty tight and it's not a, maybe a comfortable conversation. I think for a lot of people to, to ask for, you know, more budget, uh, what, what guidance do you have on that for the folks that are listening? Yeah, it's very, very interesting on, on budget. So, you know, I, I mentioned previously small, you know, small wins, quick wins. Um, if you can do those cost effectively. So maybe you talk to your audit committee and you just say, look, I, instead of delivering, you know, 20 audits this year, I'd like to deliver 19. And I'd like to take the time spent on that would have taken to do this one project and do X, right? Mm-hmm. And you got to sell the business case. Here's why, et cetera. But, you know, if you do that and you can demonstrate that the amount of, again, cost benefit, the amount of cost that you spend on that provided a 10 time benefit. Okay, well then perhaps you get more budget, right? And then the next time you go and say, can I take two audits off the audit plan to do this, right? Uh, you know, one of the things we're thinking about, and it's very interesting, I, I heard Tim Bercheron of the IAA uh, talk about this in the audit board presentation yesterday. Um, we're looking at this hard right now. And I got this from another chief audit executive, but they, they, their quick win was with a second line. Mm-hmm. So they took a look at who the second lines were. They identified one that really could was low hanging fruit. So they did that and they helped automate and improve the continuous monitoring of that particular second line. That was a win, win, win. I mean, look at what the mission of internal audit is. It's to improve the governance risk and control of the organization. They did that by helping that second line. Um, They were able to demonstrate to the owner of that second line, as well as the audit committee, the money spent improved the overall, you know, governance, risk and control of the organization. Real good win. So, but they publicized that they had done it. Well, not publicized, but they had made sure key people in the organization saw what had happened. They got an advocate from the second line. That's the type of small little incremental things that build upon each other and enable you to get more budget. Mm -hmm. Now, it's always a chicken and egg thing, right? So the other thing that uh, I've seen an organization do, and we're we're doing it right now, a lot of big, small, we all have turnover. What happens if, you know, you've got a financial auditor and they take a role in the organization ideally, because I think most of us are expected to be, you know, talent pools for the company. They leave the organization. What happens if you replace them with a different skill set, you know, a data analytics skill set, a someone who's skilled in Python programming or some a data analyst, data scientist type. So you don't replace them one for one. And you, you say, okay, I'm going to take that same budget that was freed by this departure and I'm going to hire a different skill set and I'm going to focus them on a specific task, right? 
because the opportunities with disruptive technology are so huge, because it's such an enabler of people and process, it's, it's it goes, you know, the, the return on effectiveness and efficiency is just, you know, that's why technology exists, right? Right. right. That it's a pretty good gamble to take that chance and do that, right? And so that's, that's, Okay, I, I didn't have to ask for permission. It's my budget. I, I did this. I would let people know you're doing it, right? Kind of thing so they understand it and lay out the plan. But that's not additional budget you've asked for, right? You're just reallocating a resource. Uh, there may be other things in your budget that you can sort of um, play with as well. But it's a chicken and egg. Maybe, maybe you have to take your existing budget and find a quick win, you know, sell it build the business case, maybe you get additional budget, maybe they just said, oh, that was a so high value, we're gonna relieve the pressure on the audit expectations or audit report expectations mm -hmm. to allow you to do more of this consultative type work, et cetera. And then, you know, if you're adding so much value to the organization, now you can go back and say, I could do more, but I need more, you know, budget yeah. kind of thing, so. Yeah, I like that so, you said that um, you don't need permission when you said that. And I, I tell people that all the time, especially with analytics or specifically to analytics. It's like you have the data, you know, like even if it's old, you still have it. Uh, you don't need permission to do it. Just go do it. You know, like nobody's going to nobody's going to come back and go. Yeah, that that analysis you did, we you know, that was a bad idea. You should not have done that. All the insights that you gave us. That was terrible. I can't believe you did that. Like you don't need permission to do, you know, some of this stuff. So I like that you said that. But I, but I do wonder, do you think that some people are perhaps afraid that they, because it, that time you spend doing that is time you could have been spent doing, you know, issuing an audit report or something. And let's face it, some organizations are still measured on, you know, output. Yeah. It's, not the, it's not the best measure. I don't like the measure, but it's a reality. So... Do you think people feel there's a risk perhaps that, okay, I may have to cut back on my output, which I mentioned at the beginning of this, of this question, and I don't demonstrate the value you know, from the data analytics project, right? Yeah. You, I wonder sometimes if people are, you know, I, I don't know, I'm risk averse, I'm not sure I've got the skills, I'm not sure I can do it. And so there's that, there's that risk there. Yeah. But I suppose that's where, that's where people like you come in handy because for short money, you can guarantee kind of, well, not guarantee, but you can help enable uh, better success outcomes that really sort of give us the confidence to tread in these areas that we're just not familiar with. You know, it's a risk. Yeah. It's a risk. And, and we were talking about budgets earlier. So if we look at like the time budget on an engagement, uh, say whatever you get 200 hours, there's also this expectation that you have that you take training. You know, we all have training in our budget chalk it up to training uh, and, and charge your time there. If, if, you know, the time spent is an issue uh, or take a course for an hour and then apply what you learn, you know, from an analytics course or something and apply what you learn to the engagement. And then if it fails and you go, okay, that was my training, you know? Uh, yeah. so I think you can kind of work with budgets similarly when it comes to the time in, in order to develop uh, the skill set or kind of pilot it within yourself uh, and your own engagements. Yeah, that's, that's a great suggestion. And I'm starting to see some really revolutionary stuff in, in terms of training that is, it's almost like Google-like, right? You know, or I, I need to build a deck. You can Google how to build a deck. You can Google now, you know, how to do certain, there's so much information on the web. But beyond that, I've seen some really leading edge uh, training solutions come out that are, they're like real time and they're 
short bursts and they're very specific and focused to a specific problem that, you know, you don't have to go to something for 40 hours anymore to learn, you know, of which 10% is applicable to you. And now you can just get that 10% real fast, real time on your iDevice, you know, and, uh, you know, as you're doing it. So you're, you're absolutely right. It's a good way to sort of reallocate training because it's still really training. Are there, are there any of those training resources that you can think of offhand that you would recommend? I've seen a really, really good demo from PwC on their ProEdge tool. Okay. Uh, really, really interesting. I think there might, I'm sure there are others out there who have it. I can't believe, I just believe there are others. But, you know, just Google PwC ProEdge and you can see what the capabilities are there. I'm not putting in a plug for PwC, but it does sort of indicate what learning, I think, my opinion, is going to look like sooner rather than later. And I think it's going to be beneficial to all of us. So ProEdge is their learning platform. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. They okay. use it internally and now they're marketing it externally. Nice. Yeah. There's been a lot of good developments. Um, you know, some there's some good that came out of the whole pandemic. Uh, of, you know, more use of tech, more use of video, uh, even just tech that we've that's been around for years and years and years uh, is now being used. And I think one of those also has been the one of the advances has been in training uh, the, and the stuff, especially online. I mean, I, it just, you know, blew up because that's what we we had to do. And I think it's going to stay, I think it's going to lean more to that than it is to the old ways of doing it, of, of going to, you know, um, doing a full day in-person type of thing. I'm sure there's still going to be some of those, but I think that, you know, there's been some good things that have come out of the pandemic. And I think that's one of them is the better quality training. Yeah. With that, there's more training. So there's also more bad training out there, but there's also more uh, better training, if I could uh, put it that way. Yeah. And more, more, more focused and specific on what you need. Right. And I, and I do think the, um, actually, it's a good example of technology disrupting. Right. So if you really look at this tool, it's going to disrupt, you know, the learning industry. And um, so it's a good example of, you know, using, and I, I don't know how they do it, right? We didn't get into that, but my guess is there's RPA and machine learning behind that. Cause one of the, one of the parts of the tool is it will go out as I understand it, not an expert, but as I understand it, it will go out and it will scrub all the job descriptions on the internet, you know, the worldwide net uh, for a particular position and it brings it back and it says, look, for a staff internal auditor, here's what everybody else is looking for, right? You can compare that to your job rec. And, you know, it's sort of like, okay, which skills do I have that nobody else has? And you can question that. And what skills are others looking for that I don't have? I should question that kind of thing. And so your HR group can use that, but it's all about, you know, what are the competencies everybody's looking for? And am I in sync with that? That's just one aspect of the tool, but greatly enabled by technology. So think about what that's going to do for your talent acquisition organizations, right? But again, technology being disruptive, but just doing so much more for so much less. Yeah. And uh, so speaking of, disruptive technology. That's kind of been the theme, obviously, uh, given the book and kind of your area of expertise. What is the risk? And when I say risk, I actually mean opportunity is probably a better way to put it. But what is the risk in 
an organization not looking to adapt uh, or not looking to incorporate disruptive technology? Well, so let me break it down into, let me answer that in three ways. And I like you phrased it opportunity versus risk, right? Some people respond more to the, you know, the carrot, some people respond to the stick, but whatever works for you. Um, But let me break it down into sort of organization, uh, department, and then just quite frankly, leader. So I'm a leader of a department. Uh, Organization, I mean, the history books are littered with organizations that did not seize the opportunity that disruptive technology brought to them. And when I say history books, I mean, you can go back very far and those that failed to adapt. The difference now is the the adaptation or disruption is much faster than before, right? Mm -hmm. Previously, you had time to react. If you failed to react because you were too slow moving, you know, will be will be you. Um, now that window is much shorter, right? What, and it's when, when was that? Like roughly, what was that kind of time period you're talking about? Uh, well, I think it continues to accelerate, quite frankly. But I think the, um, you know, some that said we're in that fourth industrial revolution. Right. And so when did that start? Well, you know, 80 years from now, we'll look back and we'll, you know, when we're in the sixth industrial revolution, mm-hmm. we'll look back and say, when did the fourth actually start? But I think probably it's a great question. I think probably the it was computing power, and then it was the internet, and then it was you know mobile devices. Yeah. Uh, mobile devices. I mean, if you look in the last, Uber didn't exist, right? Uh, Netflix existed, but the business model changed significantly. So I think the ability to sort of get technology at your fingertips has greatly revolutionized a lot of things. It's resulted in information sharing. That it, you know, the internet has resulted in information sharing. You know, that's generated ideas and all that kind of stuff. So I'd say probably in the last 20 years is really when this has started to take off, yeah. all predicated on prior things. But, yeah. but again, if you look back, that cycle is just increasing. And there's statistics out there. I've seen them. I can't quote them, but clearly indicate that. But okay. so that the adoption of uh, going back to the question for organizations, it's really, really important that they're scanning and just say, you know, thinking about that. They don't have the opportunity to wait and see my opinion. And some, you know, there are some who always be first movers will take that risk. The risk may not result in the reward expected, but if you're, if you're risk averse and you don't want to be a first mover, you better be a quick second. If mm-hmm. there's a second, you better be prepared, right, to either react or adopt or whatever. So you really, really got to be, you know, you can't wait to read about it in the newspaper. You got to be connected. And for internal auditors, you know, I don't think we're, there's much we can do with the strategic decision. That's not really our, our mandate, our role. But clearly, when decisions are made, there's a role for us to play and sort of supporting the organization with adopting technology ethically, you know, controlled, all that kind of stuff. For the departments, this is a critical mandate, uh, in my opinion, right? I, I actually, you know, I had in the last two weeks, I've received two job descriptions. Let me, and this is, it's probably leader related, but it's department related as well. So in one uh, job description or uh, job rec, uh, looking for a chief audit executive, they said, the chief audit executive does not need to rebuild the organization, looking for someone to optimize and take audit to the next level. The ideal CAE is someone who likes to be creative, cutting edge, and wants to push this organization to another level. There it is, you know, that's a job description, that is a requirement. 
Another one, again, within the last two weeks, leading transformation and modernization of the audit function, including assessment of structure, tools, and talent. So our customers, you know, that's two examples, very recent examples where they're saying, look, we want a leader who's going to really move this department forward, innovation, tools, et cetera. So if that's, if, if that's what our customers are looking for, that's a mandate, right? And so those who adopt are, are thinking about these types of things. That's a strategic advantage for the department. So, you know, internal audit departments, in some respects, we have often feels like we think we're immune from the pressures on organizations. And the pandemic really exposed that. You know, my, you know, not every, some organizations really benefited greatly from the pandemic, but a lot were, you know, significantly impacted. And you ask anybody uh, in any of those organiza- organizations, whether they felt pressure to do more with less, et cetera, oh yeah. And, and so is internal audit really immune for that? Do we go, oh, wait, we report to the governing body. We're performing such an important function. We don't have to be more effective, more efficient. Mm-hmm. I, I would have a hard time sleeping at night. Yeah. And I think the tolerance of our customers for organizations that are not on board with that or not in the boat rowing the same direction in the organization in terms of getting better and faster are at risk. Yeah. And there are firms out there that were more than glad to, uh, you know, take that mantle, you know, and we see, you know, firms being outsourced all the time. Outsourcing has been a lot around for a long time. It hasn't gone away. There's a reason it hasn't gone away. And yeah. so, you know, risk or opportunity, you know, you have an opportunity to really wow and impress your customers. But if you don't, I think the, they're talking to each other. And if, you know, if the CFO is talking to this CEO and the CEO, oh, my internal health department is doing that, da, 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 they come back to me, look at my, you know, what's my department doing, yeah. right? And the lease, the lease just got really, really short, right? Yeah. So if you're not already thinking about this, it's going to be really, really hard to react and catch up. So it is strategic. And then it just boils down to the department leader as well, right? Yeah. Um, so you are leading the department. Uh, when when they when that CFO comes back and says, why is my department not doing that? It's probably, why is my chief audit executive not doing this, right? So, uh, so it, it's strategically important. Disruptive technology is really important for what it can bring to an organization and the fact that others are doing it. And if you're not, you're at risk. Uh, the last thing I had for you, and it's because I read this in the book, you're talking about and we've kind of hit on it a bit, but talking about we need to understand the capabilities of some of this technology that's out there. And I hear it a lot with with data analytics. And I'll talk to folks and say, you know, they say, yeah, you know, we're using analytics. And I ask, well, what, you know, what are some of the projects you're doing? And they'll kind of walk me through. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you are. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not the um gatekeeper of you have to be doing this in order to be doing analytics. If you're throwing your data into a pivot table in Excel uh, and taking a look at it, in my opinion, that's analytics. It's not, um, there's just a whole lot more to it than that. And it's, it's kind of hard almost to convince people of that, that like that you're scratching the surface and that's great, but there's all this other um, type of work that can be done. And so you mentioned the book, understanding what all is possible with, with disruptive tech, emerging tech, um, tech in general, other than, and I'll, I'll plug the book because um, it is fantastic. It's probably one of the best audit books, especially rel- relative to tech that, that I've read. 
Um, but other than reading your book and, and getting up to speed on that, what are some other steps that we can take? Is it just people that, you know, like to learn are going to be successful in this uh, area and those that don't are going to fall behind or, or what do you, what do you have? I think, I think the desire for continuous learning, curiosity, that's what makes a good auditor mm-hmm. curiosity. I think we just need to apply it to not just our audits, but, you know, broader than that. So take that same desire for learning and curiosity about things and just apply it, you know, broader. Uh, you know, I get, I, I read a lot of things and they're not, they're not always internal audit things. Mm-hmm. Harvard Business Review, Gartner, you know, articles that are more about business in general. And you pick up on things, right? And it's always interesting to try to draw the line and say, okay, that's really cool. Could I apply that here, right? And that just broaden your appetite and uh, broaden your aperture on the things that you are reading and digesting and, and then have discussions uh, with others about it, right? Just, again, going back to your network, hey, I read this. Do you know if anybody's doing that? Chances are somebody is, yeah. right? And talk to them about that. Probably many of us can relate to this, right? We've all probably done performance reviews. Mm-hmm. In my experience, when I give a performance review to somebody and I say, how do you think you, you've done? Those, are the, those that are the top performers are usually, oh, there's so much more I could have done, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're just like, I, I wish, you know, I just don't have this. I wish I could do more kind of thing. Those are always the top performers because they think they're not top performers and they're just questing for more. On the other hand, you talk to those who are just like, how do you think you did? I was, I was a five. Okay. How could I be anything but a five, right? Yeah. Those are the ones that have sort of stopped their journey because they think they're at the top of the game. And, and typically those are the ones that are middle of the pack at best, right? And so I never want to fall into that trap as a department leader, you know, as an internal auditor to think, uh, I'm at the top of my game. Thank you for the plug on my book, but I guarantee you there's other books out there. There's lots of sage advice out there. Read it all, you know, if you can. Podcasts, I appreciate you doing this podcast because this is sharing. Um, But never stop ingesting because the minute you do, you're going to stagnate. The minute you stagnate in an environment that's changing so rapidly, any any extended period of stagnation, you just fall further and behind, right? So- so it, 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 to me, it's all about widening that aperture, talking to others, reading outside your swim lane, um, and, and think about how to apply things. You know, but specifically on data analytics, since you asked, and we're on a journey, it's interesting on data analytics, and you, you know data analytics, right? Data analytics has been the holy grail for how long now? Right? 30 years. Yeah, yeah, 30 years. We've talked about data analytics, right? And when you boil it right down, data analytics, I, I Googled the definition, Google, you know, my favorite friend, but, you know, it's the process of collecting, modeling, and analyzing data to extract insights, right? So one would have to ask themselves the question, I'm doing data analytics, what is the insight that I have delivered to my team, to my customer, et cetera? And if I have not done that, then I've only, I've only you know, gathered data, right? I, it's that second part that's the harder part, but the more critical part. What is the insight you generated and shared from that data analytics? And, and if you haven't, then that means there's opportunity, right? And data analytics right now, you know, one of the things I would ask is, 
you know, I went to a training and they talked about visualization, which was a concept I had not heard of, but there are certain types of data and data analysis that is better depicted this way versus this way. So depending on what same data, but a bar chart is, may not be the best way to depict it. Very, very interesting, but there's a whole skill set behind how to appropriately visualize data. And that's what I'm learning more and more about data. It's there are, there are specific tools for specific situations. There are certain types of data. There are different skills along the path for data analysis. Um, and so all of those things are opportunities to learn and apply. There's a great book by a guy, uh, uh, Jesse, I forget his name, but the book is called Data Teams. And it's all about building a data analytics team. Hmm. It's specific. It's not about data analytics. It's about how to build out a data and a data analytics team, and you know what skill sets and how to do that. Very good book, but so much to learn in this area. But if you're not really continuing to spend a lot of time in this particular area, it's going to be hard to keep up. It's moving very fast. If you could grab every auditor by the shoulders and shake them and say, "Just do this one thing," what would it be? But I, I think I think I capture what I said. Just start digesting more and widen your aperture and spend your time learning, but don't just learn about how to do a better cash reconciliation. I mean, I love learning, so it's easy for me. I would hope everybody in the profession loves learning. It's what's great about our job. We get to see so many different things, but if we're not capitalizing on that opportunity, if we're not you know, reading something and then immediately going and talking to somebody in our organization, oh, I read this. What do you think about that? If we're not engaging in those dialogues, we're missing a huge opportunity. So many benefits to just engage in conversation with stakeholders. You're going to learn about things that are doing. It should, you know, spark, I, I need to go learn about this kind of thing. And, and I mean, if I could if I didn't have to do audits, I'd have the best job in the world because I could just go out and talk to people. It's so exciting to do that and, and advise and share information and stuff like that. So just broaden your network, broaden your thinking, read, discuss, um, you know, take short burst trainings, anything that's curious, you know, uh, that's probably the, the, you know, what I, what I would advise people. Yeah. And I'll add to that uh, the book auditing and disruptive technologies that you wrote and in it, uh, in the forward, Tom O'Reilly says, look, if nothing else, read the last two chapters. Uh, and it's a fairly short, it's about 60, 60, 70 pages. Um, and so that's what I did. I started it, I think it's chapter five and six and read it and went, yeah, that was fantastic. And then I went back and, and read the whole thing. But if I could, um, I would highly recommend folks reading that as a first step, um, if nothing else. And then obviously taking in the, the other, um, the other areas, the other, um, webinars and white papers and other things like that, but can definitely, definitely recommend um, the book. Tom, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Your area of expertise and your background has been um, really interesting to hear about. And I'm sure the listeners will feel the same. Well, thank you very much for Trent for asking me. And I uh, always enjoy the opportunity to share. And if people want to reach out to me directly, if they see something they want to talk about more, I'm again, I love dialogue. We learn from each other all the time. So, so let's continue that. It's fantastic. Thanks, Tom. All right. Thanks so much, Trent. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you please consider leaving a rating on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on right now? 
It really makes a difference in helping to convince hard to get guests to come on the show. I did it and it only took me 16 seconds to give myself a five-star rating. So it shouldn't take uh, too much longer than that. Thank you very much for listening.